You're listening to the TheoEd Podcast. In our Brief Talks episodes, you can hear talks from all of our live events, plus additional talks only available virtually. On today's Brief Talks episode, we welcome Reverend Dr. Will Gaffney, professor of Hebrew Bible at Bright Divinity School and author of many books, including Womanist Midrash. Her talk is entitled, Biblical Language for a God Who Transcends Gender. In the beginning is how the library of sacred texts that so many of us hold as scripture begins. But more than that, those texts introduce God in two ways. He who creates and she who flutters. Yet most of us have never met her in the pages of our scriptures. That is because there has been a conspiracy in biblical translation. For if the spirit were translated with the gender which she requires grammatically, then your Hebrew scriptures and Old Testaments would be full of feminine God language. But they dare not change her to he. Jerome did that. That's why our creeds are the way they are. But in the pages of scripture, they turn to an alternative grammatical formula. Keep the proper noun instead of the pronoun. So you will see the spirit did, the spirit said, the spirit moves. Always the spirit, but never her pronoun. God introduces God's self in this plural way, and then God creates human beings in the divine image. And we too take pronouns to pronouns in the binary system that is biblical Hebrew. The scriptures offer us rich language for God, language that we have ignored and silenced and marginalized while focusing on only a couple of dominant and domineering paradigms and sets of language for God. But God is more, and we need not reach outside of the biblical text, although we are welcome to and can and should, to find rich language to talk about God who ultimately transcends gender. So we have that first plural introduction, and then we have God on the mountain in the fire saying to Moses, I am a name, a title, an identity, an expression that itself transcends gender, that is common and inclusive and non-binary. God introduces God's self in gendered language and in non-gendered language. That I am takes me back to the Genesis story when the very first human from the humus, earthling from the earth, was created, and it, they, too, was non-binary. And in that moment, before division and separation, was every bit as much the image of God as the ones who would later be called male and female. Moses gives us some other language for God. This one is by way of conversation. It's actually 
a bit more of a fight. You see, Moses was God's nanny. And one day, <laughs> he just up and quit. And there is this marvelous conversation where Moses decides to tell God all about herself, her negligent maternal self, dumping her children on this man who was not equipped to handle them. Did I give birth to this people? Moses asks. And the answer from outside the pages of the text is no, you did. Can I provide for this people? And the, the text uses the language of nursing and wet nurse. Moses uses a masculine version of a feminine word. We have something contemporarily. Some people say manny when it's a male nanny. <laughs> and Moses, I can't feed these babies. If you are going to try to make me make bricks without straw, nurse without breasts, you might as well just kill me now. And when Moses asks God to kill him, he does something very interesting in Hebrew. He uses a feminine form of the word you. Now, I've heard a rumor that there are other Hebrew biblical scholars here. <laughs> and there is an argument that that pronoun is merely in pause. But that feminine pronoun fits the narrative that Moses is painting with his language for God. God is a negligent mother, and Moses cannot provide for her children. That understanding of God as divine mother is woven throughout the scriptures. There's Deuteronomy, where God is described as the rock who gave us birth. There is this wonderful, rich verb that talks about the way God loves us that is rooted in the vocabulary for the human womb. In the same way as one might say, I have a headache or I am heartsick, this verb, mother love, comes from the same root as a reproductive organ. In fact, the only reproductive organ which is ascribed to God is a womb. In Job, God talks about when the sea bursts forth from the womb. Well, whose womb was that? When ice and snow were also created from the womb, whose womb? And so we hear that God mother loves us, except for those translators. <laughs> Most of whom did not have wombs. <laughs> and so you get expressions like compassion. You might know this one. Can a mother have no compassion on the child of her womb? They may not, but I, look, I have written you, engraved you on the palms of my hand. It is, can a woman have no mother love for the child of her womb? She may forget, but I have engraved you on my palms. Or when two sex workers claiming one live child and many of you learned the story as the birth mother, when her compassion rose up in her, when her mother love rose up in her, she said, let her have the child. 
God mother loves us, and it's one of the most common expressions of God's love in the canon of the scriptures. And then there is this wonderful portrait of God in Hosea. Now, some might find it odd to turn to Hosea for language about God, because Hosea has got some language in it, right? <laughs> but Hosea is flexible. Hosea sees God on the one hand as a domineering and abusive husband, have a problem with that one. But Hosea also sees God as a nurturing mother. Hosea writes in chapter 11 that God is the one who teaches Ephraim to toddle. You know that thing where you hold a toddler, you let them hold your fingers, and you do this thing when they're learning to walk. The God of all creation takes time out to help a toddling baby find their steps. And then it says that God lifts that baby to her cheek and nuzzles them and feeds them. This is the Iron Age. The only way in which babies are getting fed from a parent is from their breasts. This idea lingers in the scriptures if you go all the way forward to one of the Peters. There is this expression that new believers, immature Christians, should desire with all sincerity the milk of the gospel. God is our mother who nourishes us with the gospel from her breast. Those texts are throughout, and I argue that all of those taste and see texts can be related to that. So we have God described as mother in all of these places. And then we come to Jesus. Some people like to ask, what would Jesus do? I say, what did Jesus do? Jesus told stories, provided parables, teaching examples, where he used a multiplicity of language to meet the people he was addressing. So Jesus tells this story about a shepherd who happens to be a male shepherd. And he has lost some sheep, or rather, the sheep have lost him and wandered off. And this shepherd looks for those sheep, finds those sheep, and the entire community rejoices. And in case people didn't understand, it gets explained that these are the lost souls, and we come to understand the shepherd of our souls is God. And the very next parable, often separated from it for those of us who read scripture in a lectionary in church, is Jesus says, I need to tell this one over. So there was a woman in her household who lost her treasures. And she swept the household for those coins. And when she found her treasured precious ones, the entire community celebrated with her. Jesus tells the same parable in two different ways 
using two different protagonists, one female, one male. If Jesus can use inclusive language, why can't we? But, but we've come to expect Jesus to be inclusive. If Hosea can use inclusive language, why can't we? So we have this rich treasury of language in our scriptures that we neglect. And in our neglect, we make a lie the truth that we proclaim that we are all the image of God. Male, female, non-binary, trans. It matters what language we use. And when we choose to use only domineering and authoritative, bloody titles of warlords and patriarchs, as our God language, and simultaneously align those titles with one segment of the population, then we are saying by our neglect and our silence, our exclusion, that some folk are not really the image of God, which is why some folk can't really lead, or some folk can't really preach. But the scriptures are rich and thick, even though they are Iron Age theology. They do a better job than we do who consider ourselves to be evolved and advanced. So if we want to adopt a new paradigm for how to talk about God, I suggest, in this regard, we become a bit more of biblical literalists. <laughs> so, the storehouse is rich, and it has barely begun to be dug. But some of that work is going to have to happen in spaces other than the congregation in the classroom. Some of that work is going to have to happen on the scholar side of the street. Some of us are going to have to make accept accessible for the wider scripture reading public some of the things we know about language. And we have to be honest that translation matters and that it's not a neutral occupation, that when you translate, you are making choices that will shape the way people will engage their scriptural texts and come to understand God. And every translation is political, is gendered, has intent behind it, even when those intents are not articulated. In addition to choosing how we render our texts, then we have to think about the texts that we hear read and proclaimed in our congregation. Because people are not being exposed to the breadth 
of the scriptures. Our lectionaries sometimes create a version of the scriptures of the Bible that is almost unrecognizable. But when you talk to first year seminarians in their first semester of a Bible course, and they have grown up in the church and gone to church camp and sung the songs and memorized the verses, they are looking at the book in front of them like they have never seen it before because they haven't heard the half of the text. So it matters how we select our text. The scriptures are rich. They are a treasure. They tell us something about who we are, who God is, but ultimately who we think God is. And we proclaim that to the world in the ways in which we name God and name God's children. Female, male, non-binary, transcending all of those categories. The language you use about God tells me what you think about me. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this brief talk. If you have suggestions for future brief talks or big ideas episodes on the TheoEd podcast, visit our website at theoed.com. That's T-H-E-O-E-D dot com to submit your suggestions.